Hey, what is up? Welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Lofermento. In today's episode, we've got an awesome story and perspective from an entrepreneur whose work that I really admire because he's found a way to take a career and turn it into a business, which we've had some awesome stories of entrepreneurs who have done that. He's also super multi-passionate. I'm gonna tell you about that in his bio. So today's guest, his name is Jacob Kendall. Jacob currently lives in coastal Alabama, his home state with his wife, Emily, and their son, Simon. He grew up with the goal of being a certifiable renaissance person, and he's well on his way with a truly interdisciplinary background. It explains why he created his company, The Versatile Social Worker, in which he loves helping social workers squeeze all the juice out of their education and multifarious skills. Specifically, he designed his program to help social workers pivot their career by learning to market their transferable skills with razor-sharp precision. Jacob has studied so so many different aspects of the academic world as as well as the the real life job market and the job world as a former professor he's taught social work public health global health he has passport stamps from 25 countries and counting which i admire as a fellow traveler myself he enjoys bird watching plays various musical instruments there's so many aspects to jacob's life his story and his career so far that's going to resonate with us all with an interesting dose of stories and perspectives so i'm not going to say anything else Let's dive straight into my interview today with Jacob Kendall. All right, Jacob, I'm so excited to have you on here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to have the opportunity. Heck yeah. So obviously, I told listeners just a little bit about your background. I feel like there's so much more to your story. Fill in those gaps for listeners. Give us the short version of your story of how you got into all the awesome work that you do today. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I love questions like this because uh, it gives me the opportunity to really emphasize that I, I, I do like having my hands in multiple cookie jars. And it's, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's, it's been very uh, challenging because the, the, the whole message is you got a niche, niche, niche. And I'm like, but I have all these interests. I can do these different things. Um, but it, it's it's also been fun, you know, finding finding that balance. And I I you know I have plans to to further expand to do other things in the in the future. Uh, but that's one of the things I like about social work, very versatile degree. And, and right now I'm focusing on social workers, but um, you know I also have a background in public health, uh, theology, gerontology, um, and, and related fields. And I want to I want to help you know those kinds of professionals in the future. Uh, my original love was interestingly it was biology. That's what I studied in undergrad. And, and more recently, I've gotten into uh, quantum mechanics. It's I kind of I kind of went way into the social sciences and humanities realm, but I, I do I do love the natural sciences and kind of one of the ways that I I think you mentioned this that I exercise that or quench that thirst is to do a little bit of bird, bird watching and reading on nerdy topics like evolution, animal behavior. Um, so you know I, I've had to learn the lesson of. Uh, like I said, niching down because you got to pick a specific thing, a specific audience. And I happen to be good with the really uh, technical razor sharp kind of writing that's good for a, a resume and cover letter. Um, but I'm finding in the conversations that I have with my clients that, you know, we're all humans and we all have uh, various interests. So even me being able to, uh, that's one of the things I like about being a, an interdisciplinary or, or multi-hyphenate person um, is I, it's easier to relate to, uh, to, to other people and, and whoever my clients are going to be. Um, and, and also with the whole pivot thing, you know, I pivoted a few times myself. The original reason I got the PhD in uh, gerontology is um, because I 
I thought I was going to retire a professor and I, I first taught social work and then I taught global health. And truth be told, I, I probably fit in a little bit better teaching uh, the, the global health uh, curriculum. And, and I was on the tenure track. That's a really, really competitive market. Um, but I, I was fortunate to get a tenure track position. Great department, great university, great students. But there were a few different reasons why I made that pivot. Some family reasons, personal health reasons. I've had a couple of open heart surgeries. Um, and, you know, I, I never saw myself being an entrepreneur or, or starting my own business or anything until that yeah, sorry, we're losing you just a little bit with internet connection, but it was just towards the end there. Do you want to add anything else to that? Because I love where you were ending it, which is you didn't expect to become an entrepreneur, but here you are, Jacob. Anything else you want to add on or you want to dive straight into it? Oh, uh, feel free to let me know if there's a certain part it, it cut off. Um, basically, the last thing I'll say is, uh, yeah, I... Because, you know, all those changes happened and, and many of them were unexpected. My dad also got sick with a stroke and, and, you know, my wife and I were planning on moving to North Carolina from Georgia where we met and where I was teaching at the time. But then uh, he got sick with a stroke and I couldn't leave my mom to, to care for him. So we moved to Alabama uh, and then we all decided that I grew up in central Alabama and that's that's where they were still living. And we all decided, let's all move down uh, to coastal Alabama, be closer to the water. Um, and he, he ended up dying a few months later, but we're all living here. My brother and his family are here as well. And so these unexpected life changes happen. I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting that change to be the last one in my life. Um, and so that's kind of the, the bigger picture beyond uh, career changes for social workers that I kind of want to expand to in the future is just helping with life changes in general. I mean, being a gerontologist, you know, aging uh, brings about it's so universal and it brings about so many different life changes. Again, my PhD is in gerontology as a study of aging. So uh, I'm very just, yeah, I'm interested in, in what happens in our lives as we, as we move forward in time. Okay. I'll stop. I'll stop. There, I, I love that overview, Jacob. I expect nothing less from you because you are so multi-passionate and multi-talented. So I love that overview, especially I want to call out for listeners. This is a part of your story that I so appreciate you sharing with us, which is you explicitly stating, yeah, in a world where we're told to niche down, I'll be honest, Jacob, I feel the same way as you, where I'm like, but I like so many things. And actually on top of that, I would also argue that it sharpens our skills even further. The more, the more cookie jars that I have my hands in, the more that I find myself learning, the more that I find myself able to apply any strategies, principles, lessons to all the other things that I'm doing. And that's why I love the fact that what you're doing today with the versatile social worker is you're really helping social workers, but you're right. It's going to one day transfer into whatever your next business is or, or your business on top of this. There's so many different ways to go from there. But at the root of it, I can't wait to talk to you about the versatile social worker because I do think it's fascinating that you've really found that niche and said, hey, these are people that need to be served. These are people that have tangible skills that we can apply. Let me help them. Talk to us about what that looked like when you started opening your doors for those services and those people that you want to serve. What was your first client like? How did you even structure your offer? Walk us through the intro to that. Yeah. Um, well, to back up just a little bit farther, like I said, I taught social work. That was my first teaching gig out of grad school. And most people know social workers as case managers and uh, you know, child and family services or as mental health therapists. That's what most social workers do. But there's this whole other side known as macro social work, where it's like policy and research and more bigger picture things. And that's where I am. 
Uh, in fact, I often say I'm so macro, there should be a level above that. You know, in, in grad school, I, I really focused on epidemiology and demography, you know, studying population level trends. And so I'm up here with the bird's eye view and, and social workers have a place there, but the social work programs don't really train. They, they say that that's a big part of what they do, but they don't really train their students to do that. And I, it was the early stages when I was a professor, knowing the, the uh, social work curriculum, which has a national accreditation standards very intimately that way. That's when I first started becoming a bit disgruntled with a huge lack uh, in my own field with that. Um, the, the entrepreneurial bug had not bit me yet, so I didn't know I would get to this point. But then it did, and, and, and uh, what I found by posting about various topics on social work is the ones that really, uh, I'm sorry, various topics on LinkedIn, some about social work. And what re- the ones that really got a lot of attention were the ones that pointed out some things that are a huge trend in social work right now. And that is that most social workers are underpaid and undervalued, but they're burnt out and overworked. And so they want to make a change in their career, but they're just so uh, tunnel vision with the clinical, like, like, like I said, case management or clinical work uh, that they view everything they do through that lens and they have not been adequately prepared to market themselves in a more macro context. Um, And so I thought, you know what, social workers, I know the things that they do and these skills as case managers and whatnot, these skills do apply to other settings. And if they, so there's a huge trend right now with social workers wanting to pivot. And that's kind of how I built, built out my program. Like I said earlier, I just happened to have the, uh, the natural skills. I was the person in middle school who enjoyed doing sentence diagramming. So I'm, I'm really good at, at being very razor sharp with my uh, writing in grad school, beat the rest of the bad habits out of me. And so I combine those two things and I help with, uh, at first I just started helping with resume and cover letter, but it became clear within a few months of doing that, that none of those things exist in a vacuum. And inevitably my clients would reach back out after I helped them with a resume and they're like, can you help me with an interview? Can you help me with these other things? And so I just built out an entire program that's, that's pretty comprehensive now, job search, LinkedIn, networking, salary negotiation. Um, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's more f- a fuller picture, uh, if you will. And I'm still tweaking it. Obviously I still consider myself in the earlier days, but it is going well. And I get, um, a lot of, a lot of calls because social workers are feeling the burn right now. Yeah. I love that overview, especially because the underlying message that I'm hearing in the way that you talk about your business, as well as the way that it's growing and expanding into the future is it's really customer driven. It's not on you, Jacob, to have those answers as you're listening to, Hey, here's what the needs are. I'm super curious because I'm obviously biased. I I have a marketing hat on at all times. And what I'm hearing is that what you're really helping them with is, is marketing and selling and and combine that with your really good technical writing skills. And, And what I'm imagining is that you're just really good innately with coming up with marketing hooks. When people are looking for jobs, they're just looking to to put a hook out there that makes them stand out from all the other people out there. I'm super curious to hear your perspective, strategies, experiences, experiences in developing those hooks. What is it that makes it different for the people who you get to work with in their pivots and their career searches that really helps them stand out in what I would imagine is a very crowded marketplace? For sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great way of putting it. It really is about building your personal brand these days. And I think, I don't know exactly when this started changing. I don't, I don't remember when LinkedIn started. Um, 
but it's it's definitely much more common for when you apply for a job, like they're going to look you up on LinkedIn, right? That didn't used to be the case. It used to be the case that you submit a job application uh, and it was, I guess we could say more straightforward, but it's not that way anymore. You have to build a personal brand. Ideally, um, I, you know, I'm just making an observation here. I don't like the fact that the following is true, but because it's true, I want to help my clients realize that. But the people who are most successful in the job hunt in any field are using networking well, very well. I mean, I'm not talking about just sending out a few messages. There are all kinds of things that go into that. Posting on social media, uh, especially, you know, LinkedIn is a really good place because it's where people go to look for uh, job applicants and candidates and whatnot. Um, and, you know, having a compelling headline and maybe even having your own website and these other resources, um, building your personal brand. And like I said, like I said, there's the razor sharp part of it as well. And so with social workers, um, one, one challenge that a lot of my clients have is they'll ask me something like, well, how am I supposed to quantify? Because you need to put some numbers in your resume, right? You got to prove that you've done done well. It's not enough to just say that you're a, a grant writer, for example. Tell me how much money you've won by writing grants. So a, a common question I get is, well, how am I supposed to quantify therapy? Um, you, you know, like I, I, could, I could tell you the story. There's a lot of narrative in social work. And I'm like, that, that's going to come into play. You could put some, some of that into your uh, LinkedIn content or when you get to the interview or, or whatnot. So I don't want you to give up on those stories, but we got to put some numbers to it. Uh, that, that's something that is definitely a challenge for a lot of my clients. Um, and, you know, like I said, there, there's that tunnel vision, seeing everything through a clinical lens and, and just learning to, to think outside of that. So I hope I answered your question, but let me know if there's a follow-up. Yeah, no, for sure. And I do appreciate, I'm going to call this out for listeners because I know this, Jacob, but, but listeners may not know it. You are a warrior for showing up in the way that you do, even when you're a little bit under the weather. So if listeners hear that, this is just Jacob honestly giving so much value through all of it, which I so appreciate, Jacob. And I want to go a little bit deeper because you talk about networking and it seems like that's part of your secret sauce. You really understand the power of LinkedIn for yourself, as, as especially for your clients. We actually found you on LinkedIn, which is how we came across your work. And immediately our team was just like, dang, Jacob does things differently. He knows how to show up from a place of service. Talk to us about what effective networking looks like. Because you called out, and I love that you put that in there, where you were just like, it doesn't mean sending a couple of messages. What does networking actually mean, and how can we do it right? Yeah, that's something I've learned through a lot of trial and tribulation. But that's that is a lesson that I give my clients because another common thing I hear is that networking, the prospect of networking, is so overwhelming to them. Um, you know, a lot of us are introverts. I'm very introverted, and so I've had to adapt to my uh, as I get better at networking. I've had to adapt to that to that fact, and that's okay. Like. Networking is a skill. I, I try to tell my clients, you're not going to be able to flip that switch and just do it well. You have to you have to build it. And so just put yourself out there. Be okay with messing up in a conversation. Be okay with not saying the right thing. Tweak it and get better next time. So it does take practice. You know, I, I was classically trained for several years as a pianist uh, starting at age six. And I didn't start out being really, really good at it. Networking is a skill. Learning how to brand yourself uh, is a skill. And so to answer your other question, uh, yeah, it's more than just sending out a few messages. I actually send out dozens, if not hundreds, probably hundreds of messages a month. And yeah, at first it does take some time. That's the other thing is, well, I mean, that's a part of it is you get better. You're going to learn to hone. What are the kinds of people I should be focusing on? Where, where, how can I, um, you know, 
at first, you know, as you're pivoting, you may not have all that clarity on the kinds of jobs that you want or the kinds of people you need to be working with. And so you just kind of cast a wider net, but that'll narrow over time. You will get better, uh, but still send out a lot of messages. Also things like this podcasting. Um, and, and every time I'm on a, a podcast episode, I put it in my publication section and obviously, you know, uh, talk about it in a post or, or, or whatnot. I know y'all help, uh, you know, your guests with uh, social media marketing with that. Um, being a former professor, I reach out to and build relationships with professors and I ask them, hey, I'm available to do a guest lecture. I'm doing a guest lecture tomorrow in a, in a virtual social work class. I put that on my LinkedIn profile that I did it and it shows that I'm still contributing to the profession. Um, I post content regularly. Um, I engage on other people's content. Whenever someone engages on my with my content, I respond to it. And um, yeah, I mean, that's those are several things that I do. Whenever I go to events, uh, there was one a few weeks ago where there were 100 people on that event and I was one of two guest speakers. And uh, the moderators for this event said, hey, everyone put your LinkedIn uh, link into the profile so you can get to know one another. And I went, I quickly like clicked on every single one of them and added them to my network. And I got a few sales out of that. <laughs> and I built tons of new connections. So I'm just be consistent, be aggressive with it. Um, and, you know, see it as a skill that you have to, to, to build on over time. Yeah, Jacob, three things that I want to call out for listeners right here. The first is that you hustle, you show up, you put in the work and not everybody does that. The second thing that I really want to call out is that you show up generously, you show up from a place of service because as I'm hearing you talk about all this stuff, Jacob, I'm thinking about, you know, 10 years ago, if my 20 something year old self had heard our conversation here today, I would have been like, oh, I don't want to spam people. I don't want to annoy people. And none of what you're talking about is spam or annoying to them because you're showing up out of service. And the third thing that I really want to call out is that you just genuinely see the value of connections, whether they're connections that lead to something, if they're the means to an end, or connections that are just ends in and of themselves. So I really love and appreciate your attitude towards, we call it networking, but it doesn't even feel that way the way that you talk about it. So huge kudos to you, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I want to call this out because I think that this is another one of your maybe innate skills, but I know that most innate skills come through reps. And so for you, what I really like is you call networking a skill. And I would imagine with your work with a versatile social worker, you also see all the transferable skills that these social workers have that you see, hey, you're underpaid. You have so much more to give. Let's get you rewarded on that level. And I would imagine, Jacob, that to an extent, they don't see these skills. Talk to us about your ability to spot these skills and apply them, whether it's to you and your own business as an entrepreneur or to these social workers in their career pivots. Yeah. Honestly, so I'm going to use the, the resume as an example for answering your question. Um, interestingly, let me let me let me connect the previous conversation to this to the question you just asked. So I used to tell my clients because because so many people just apply to 200 jobs and they get upset that they don't get any callbacks. That's not a good strategy. It's actually much better to apply to far fewer of them and make those higher quality with good networking. And I often say if I were on the job hunt myself and I had a choice of only relying on uh, submitting job apps 
or using networking. That if I use networking well, networking is is much more valuable. You should be spending at least eighty percent of your time doing networking. That being said, the resume is still a really important piece because even when you're networking, people are going to ask to see that. So the example I'm going to use to hopefully convey, you know. The, this will give you a clues to the wider, the, my wider answer, broader answer to your question just now is um, how I coach on the resume. Uh, I have found that most people don't understand just how pos- just how precise it's possible to be. Uh, and I'm just, I, I don't know what my innate skill, I, I wish that I could explain it better. And I'm, de- I'm trying to develop a way where I can make it be much less time intensive. But right now, the best way that I can do it is, I get on a call with a client to work on their resume and it, an hour is never enough. It usually takes an hour and a half or two hours. And we, we, I'm, I'm like ex- excruciatingly nitpicky. They're probably very irritated with me about an hour in, but I say, I don't care. We need to get this done. Um, and, and to give you a good example, uh, one of the recent ones that I did, uh, it was two hours. We worked on the resume and cover letter and nearly completed both of them for the job that this client was working on. And throughout the, the meeting, when we were going through it, uh, that they would say, oh, wow, my mind is just blown. I didn't realize that it could be this way. And at the end, I, I always ask them, how are you feeling? Are you feeling more confident? Because that's, you know, that's one of the intangible things I want to help with is helping my clients feel more confident about putting themselves out there, um, which is something that's challenging for social workers to do at times. But I, I asked them this and they said, let me give you an analogy. And they told me, you know, I really like basketball. So I'll use that. At the beginning, I would say with, with this resume, at the beginning, I felt like I was a child playing basketball on a playground. But now after going through this session, I feel like I'm in the NBA. Um, and I think in my experience, many people don't realize exactly what it would look like to make that kind of improvement. Cause I even get on calls with people and they tell me I, I've already worked with someone on my resume. And then I look at their resume and we're like, well, this person missed this, this and that. So let's work on it. Right. Um, so I wish that I could, it, it's really hard for me to explain how it works without actually doing it, but I'm just constantly asking questions uh, to them to get more and more precise. And usually the starting point is something like, I'm a good communicator. And I'm like, well, there are thousands of ways that we communicate with one another. What does that mean? That you give good presentations, that you're good at writing messages, that you put on carrier pigeons? You know, I'm a little bit snarky. Um, and then I'm like, we need to be a lot more specific. Have you given presentations? Was it at a TED talk? What was the size of the audience? Give me much more detail here. What were the outcomes of that? And I gave the example of grant writing earlier. Don't tell me you're a grant writer. Tell me how much money you've won. There's no better way to prove that. And I just have to, I have to really dig and, and constantly um, ask nitpicky questions like that. But it's going to pay off in the end because if you give that kind of evidence, then no one can argue with them that they're good at those things. I'm trying my best to answer your question. I found it hard to do without actually them being on the on the call with me. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry, because now I'm going to ask you a question that I don't exactly know how to phrase, but we're going to work through it here in real time in front of the listeners, because what I'm hearing as you're sharing this approach with us is... It's almost, I've been, this year I've been so cognizant of how dichotomous our world is in so many ways. And that's why I think that and thinking is really powerful. And we always hear, it's funny, I think you you definitely get this because we're talking about in the world of business, people tell us niche down, but we're also talking about the power of reaching across niches and cross-pollinating yeah. and all of these things. And then when I think about your process and the work that you do, I would imagine that there's another dichotomous 
situation where you want big, broad, you already use the word macro thinking, for example, but then you also use the word precise a lot. And we talk about zooming way in. What is that balance? Because I find that good things come out of both sides of that coin, from the zooming out, from the zooming in. Jacob, I know it's something that you're really good at. Talk to us about that approach and and how you weave the zoom in and zoom, zoom out into it. Did I mention zooming in and zooming out in my bio or in any of our conversations? No, not yet, but the way that you think, it's just something that, that's how I'm visual, so I'm just like seeing it right now. That's, that's perfect because um, I actually originally started what I'm doing right now with resumes and cover letters and whatnot as a side hustle. What I'm really more interested in, I, I've had to kind of put this, delay this a little bit because I didn't realize, this is another lesson that I had to learn the hard way with being a small business owner is, you cannot, uh, it's very difficult, at least in your earlier days of being a small business owner to half ass things. Uh, so I just had to like, okay, I'm putting these other things aside and I'm going to have to d- dive into this thing with, to make the versatile social worker work at all. Or it wouldn't have worked if I was just spending a few hours on it a week. Right. Um, but the thing that I'm really interested in, in the future is speaking. I want to take some things that I did in the classroom to other stages, to larger audiences. Um, and I definitely plan on doing that. I like speaking and I, I, I've never given a keynote, but I've, I've spoken in other capacities. And I think that I would be, I've got enough affirmation to know that I would be good at that about, about that. But the, the theme, it's really interesting because I've actually, I've actually already written my speaker sheet and created the first draft of a website. And one of the main themes, <laughs> it's so, it's so interesting that you, that you mentioned this is master your zoom lens. Uh, so I'm super excited that like, it's awesome to me that that is what came to mind for you without me even mentioning those words, because I actually think that that is a skill that is missing in not just social workers, but in our society in general. Uh, you're right with so much, you know, political polarization, everything is dichotomized. Um, and with niche, 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 you got to be really, really specific. But the real skill actually comes in and being able to zoom in and out more readily so that you can uh, travel comfortably between these different perspectives, right? Uh, I think with American individualism, we're we're very, there's a lot of good things about that cultural value. But if we take it too far, then we stay too focused at that level. Um, But we're still applying broad principles to it. And we're missing a lot of things that are in between. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining this and you totally just got me excited about mentioning the, the zoom lens since that's actually the theme of the, the talk that I want to do. Um, I kind of see that as a, as a phase, maybe after, uh, you know, I build out this, this versatile social worker program, I, I want to shift into that, but that's going to be a big part of it. So you are right. It is a balance. And I think that it is all a balance and learning to carry that balance is to me a core skill that a lot of people need more improvement in. I think we could we could resolve a lot of problems better if we learned how to master our zoom lens, both zooming in when needed and zooming out when needed, and then zooming back in. It just you know, it just depends. Um, just really quickly, a really good example is I told you I taught global health after I taught social work, and you know, both of those were undergrad and college students know that they may know that they're interested in health in some way, but they think at that stage that the only thing that they can do 
and with a career in health is be a nurse or a physical therapist or a doctor. And so they want to go into some clinical field, but then they take my intro to global health course. I, I was told this so many times and they're like, Oh, I didn't even realize that public health or global health or this more macro view of health was possible. All these career options just opened before my eyes and their career shifted because of that. And that's a bigger picture. They learned, they learn from a course like that, that you actually can zoom out and see things about health that you can't if you're only focused on the patient, right? Um, and so, wow, my mind was just blown by you bringing that up. That actually is a theme of a talk that I want to do in the future. Uh, and I, I want that to be a, a real a foundation of my speaking in the future. So I'm, I'm excited you brought that up. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yes, for sure. And I'll tell you what, it is because I'm such a visual thinker that the way that you're even, obviously you and I are on video, listeners can't see us right now, but even the way that you're physically turning your zoom lens on your, on your figurative camera, that even yeah. helps me really visualize the act of me doing that with my mind, with the perspective with the way that I look at my business and my life. So yeah, it is that that visual that helps me especially. And I'm sure that listeners who are tuning in, whether they're on the go, they're driving, they're at the gym, then hopefully that gives them that visual as well. So gosh, I'm so glad that I expressed that out loud because it is yeah. such a, a core part of the message that I'm picking up from you. Gosh, awesome. Jacob, I, I feel like we're only scratching the tip of the surface here today. We have limited time together here today, but as we come towards the end, I do want to squeeze out a couple more questions from you. And the first of which is that you not only, you've been so generous with sharing with us here today, not only your entrepreneurial journey up to this point, but I love hearing your vision for the future and how much that plays into the way that you think about the now. Talk to us about some of the surprising things that as you've jumped into the entrepreneurial world that you've been like, wow, I didn't realize that's the way things were. It's been really eye-opening for you in some ways. <clears throat> okay. One thing is that uh, outside of personal life and challenges there, like professionally speaking, things that I do to accomplish something. Once I completed my PhD, I definitely, like it was clear to me, this is the, the most challenging thing I've done. Um, and all that's all that's involved in that. But I have said, I've been saying over the past few weeks, so this is a very recent thing that I've even been willing to say this. Um, I, I know I told my wife, I told a couple of other people, so I have vocalized it's real now. Um, here I'm going to tell a wider audience. I feel like um, maybe, maybe at some point in the next year or so, I would say, I'm going to feel, I imagine I'm going to feel like all that I've had to put in to learning how to be a, uh, a small business owner. And I've got a long way to go before I can say, you know, I'm as successful as I want to be. I'm still in the earlier stages of it, but I've learned just, I've consumed an enormous amount of information, gone through a lot of trial and error, the same way that I did with, with my dissertation research, went through so many uh, rabbit holes, uh, and, and whatnot, made mistakes and learned from them that I feel like there's going to come a point soon where I'm going to feel like uh, that, that what I put into learning how to be a small business owner is equivalent to me completing the, the PhD. It's just, it's just challenging. You have to throw yourself into it. Um, and I used to think very differently because the PhD is the highest degree that you can get. And I, uh, I have, I have several degrees and I, I could be justified. I think a lot of people are, 
you know, who are, especially those who are still in academia, they see through that lens and it's easy to think, oh, I've achieved the pinnacle of what it's possible to achieve. But when I did that pivot into small business ownership, I was a small fry and I still am because there are people out there, even in their early twenties, where that's the route that they chose early on. And they're, you know, they're running circles around me. Um, and I've just, uh, it's not that I didn't know that there are other things out there that I didn't know and could, and could learn, but it, uh, it's just, it's just very easy to get stuck in that tunnel vision of, Oh, I, I completed this. Now I, you know, now I'm in a new place. But, um, you know, when I pivoted to small business ownership, I had, I had to take some steps back and start over again with something new. That being said, I learned a lot about, um, you know, I, I was more okay with going down those business rabbit holes with, uh, making mistakes with, with not doing it perfectly. Cause I could look back just as I could with my dissertation. And I could say with my dissertation, I remember saying, oh, if I didn't make all those mistakes or if I didn't go down this rabbit hole, I could have completed this in half the time. The same is true of small business life, but life doesn't work that way. And I was more okay with that after having gone through graduate school, I was more okay with that with the business thing. I was just like, well, you know what? This is just how it goes. You got to wrestle in the mud sometimes. And I, I never thought while I was in grad school that those lessons from academia were going to be so widely applicable to um, other settings. And I'll go ahead and say, uh, there are a lot of people in, in the same way that social workers, there's a huge trend right now with social workers leaving their work. There's also a huge trend right now with PhDs leaving academia. Uh, I mean, I did. Uh, so I, I hope anybody who has a doctorate degree listening to this or an advanced degree who's wanting to pivot out of that, um, just know that it's a big trend and you have excellent transferable skills, even if you're dissertation advisor and others. I had a really good one, but uh, there's a lot of you know support in academia where if you leave academia, they feel like you're a traitor to it and abandoning it. But I hope people don't feel that way. Okay, I can keep going. I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, Jacob, I you gave me the chills. It's every once in a while guests come on and give me all the or hit me in all the feels with their answers, and I feel like I'm well. One, I'm so glad that I snuck that question in for you, and two, I'm so glad that that's the direction you took it because you just discussed, you just summarized entrepreneurship, and I would say entrepreneurship it's just a microcosm of life at whole or in general and you did such a profound insight into what that experience is really like so i know that for so many people tuning in here today they're going to be like this is the real stuff this is why i tune into the show so jacob i love your perspective on that i love the way that you took that and I'm glad that I snuck that in. And now we come to the hardest part for you, not for me. This is the easiest part of my job is to give the guests the, the summarizing question here at the end, which is we talked about so many different things today. I don't even know which direction you're going to take this in. But for listeners, whether they're in the entrepreneurial phase or they're entrepreneurs and they're wondering, holy cow, I've got things to think about. But most importantly, there's action that I should be taking. What's the one thing you hope everybody does from here? If you haven't yet, if you're a entrepreneur, but you haven't, you know, taken taken the next step, there are all kinds of uh, variables you can mention in your head for why not to do it or why to uh, delay it, and those are legitimate variables. Um, but you really only need one to to answer yes and do it, and that's just do you want to, and you know, put a little bit of yellow into it as well. You only live once. And if, if you, if you're someone who hasn't experienced any major life changes, you're going to at some point and just know that that is going to change your perspective. And there's no way that you can possibly know what that's going to feel like until you experience it. 
but you can at least make an informed decision knowing that it will affect the way that you view life. And maybe you, that'll give you a little bit of a head start. Imposter syndrome, everyone feels that. Lack of confidence and wondering whether it's possible, everyone feels that. All the typical obstacles, any kind of thing that you can mention, those are really, really, really common. And there are people who have overcome them or the people who have managed to work around them or through them or whatever. I'm not saying to ignore them. I'm not saying just, uh, it's not, it's not a, fl- a switch that you can flip. Uh, but these are like, you're not alone. It's really easy to feel like you're in, on, on an island. Well, I've got this unique case or whatever. I had this unique situation. Someone else has experienced that. At the, at the end of the day, you know, it's really easy to talk us, talk ourselves out of things. Um, but the fact that you arrived at the point of even asking yourself that question means that you've already taken yourself far enough along to like, you owe it to yourself to answer. And the question is like, should I do this basically? Uh, if you, if you're asking yourself that question, then I, I promise you that question has an answer and you owe yourself to, to figure out that answer. Boom. Very profound and meaningful advice there. Jacob, I love the way that you brought that one as well. Obviously, you're a thinker and I can see the futures of your keynote speaking career already taking blossom because there's so much wisdom that you're able to impart on us. On that note, I know that listeners are going to be keen, especially since we talked so much about LinkedIn today. I know that they're going to be keen to check out all the awesome stuff that you're doing with your business, the versatile social worker, as well as connecting with you on LinkedIn. So drop those links on us. Where should listeners go from here well jacob evans kindle is both my you that you should you should you can find me that way via linkedin and on, on ig i'm i'm newer to ig and frankly my wife does most of that content for me i'm i'm not ig friendly <laughs> uh but yeah you can find that's that's my ig handle and that's also the handle for my uh, linkedin profile the versatile social worker has its own page i post more on my personal page jacob kindle um, and then Jacob at the versatile social worker.com is my email address to, to learn more. Does that answer your question? I also can provide them in writing too. Yeah, no, for sure. So that's just my cue to remind listeners that we make it easy to find Jacob. So you just heard a few of those places where you can reach out to him. We're putting all these links down below wherever it is that you're tuning into today's episode. So definitely take Jacob up on that. Connect with him on LinkedIn. He's always posting there such good stuff, thought-provoking stuff as well. So whether you are a social worker looking to pivot or you're an entrepreneur and you've learned so much as I have from Jacob here today, definitely connect with him as well as on Instagram. Jacob, good to hear that you're welcoming that platform platform as well. That's the only social network that I'm really active on. So super excited to connect with you. Listeners, check the show notes down below wherever it is that you're tuning in. Otherwise, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on here today and being so generous with your thoughts, your stories, your perspectives, your strategies. I've loved every second of it. So thanks for joining us on the show today. And uh, thanks to you, Brian. I greatly enjoyed the conversation. Hey, it's Brian here, and thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. If you haven't checked us out online, there's so much good stuff there. Check out the show's website and all the show notes that we talked about in today's episode at theentrepreneurshow.com. And I just want to give a shout out to our amazing guests. There's a reason why we are ad-free and have produced so many incredible episodes five days a week for you. 
And it's because our guests step up to the plate. These are not sponsored episodes. These are not infomercials. Our guests help us cover the costs of our productions. They so deeply believe in the power of getting their message out in front of you, awesome entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that they contribute to help us make these productions possible. So thank you to not only today's guests, but all of our guests in general. And I just want to invite you check out our website because you can send us a voicemail there. We also have live chat. If you want to interact directly with me, go to the wantrepreneurshow.com, initiate a live chat. It's for real me. And I'm excited because I'll see you as always every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here on the Wantrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast.